Healthcare and senior care is fraught with problems and challenges, but we're also seeing some amazing new clinical treatments and resources. This show will help illuminate and uncover the good, bad, and the ugly in order to equip patients, families, and other healthcare providers. Welcome to Senior Care Confidential. Hi, everybody. It's a great day. We are so excited to be here. Hello, Brian. Hello. Good to see you. And we are we have lots to talk about. We have a great show. So we're just going to touch. We don't want to discuss politics. We are a healthcare show. But COVID, as we know, is always on the news. And uh, there's been lots of media buzz lately on the origin of COVID, the, the virus that has claimed nearly 7 million lives, which is so hard to believe there have been that many deaths with COVID. Um, Dr. Robert Renfield, the former director of the U.S. Centers for D- Disease Control and Prevention, testified how science indicates that COVID-19 was likely the result of an accidental lab leak in Wuhan. His conclusion was based on the biology of the virus itself and unusual actions in and around Wuhan in 2019. So, Brian, what are your thoughts on that? So I'll avoid the landmines and I'll just say clinical research is vital. And I think it's it's healthy in any kind of a particularly science fields and, and in our in our in our world, you know, the healthcare field to have hearty debates on all sides. And if we're if we're finding that there are research projects or evidence-based, you know, um, projects that are revealing whatever um, on on both sides, I think that those are important to have discussions on and not you know, I don't like the term the science is settled because science is never settled because our understanding of science and God and how things fit together is seems to be constantly evolving as we get smarter. Um, and so I think having hearty debates on both sides is is, is useful and valid and, Abs- and necessary. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, my son's a physician and he's like, mom, I am practicing medicine. That's right. I'm not an expert. I'm There's practicing. A, there was an interesting, I, I think they, they, they talk about it in med schools and it's something, I may misquote it, but it's something like, the things that we believe to be true today, in 20 years, like 80% of them will be found to be false. So if, if, if our understanding of science and, and the body and medicine is evolving that quickly, then maybe we shouldn't, you know, dig our heels in so much on some things that we may not agree with. Well, and you think about Ebola, you know, mm-hmm. Ebola was in Dallas about 10, 11 years ago. And I remember the hospital where they felt it originated or the, you know, it shut down. Nobody even drove around that area of the city. People were terrified. So, and now we know, you know, we have the information we need on that. But anyway, today we have a very special guest. She is a registered nurse. She is an infectious disease nurse, and she is also a successful author. Um, Amanda Skinnendor um, used her knowledge in researching historical diseases to write several best-selling novels based on diseases that crippled the country so many years ago. We are talking about her book, The Second Life of Muriel West. I'm so excited to talk to Amanda. She is just just this book is just amazing. I could not put it down. So just to share with Amanda, you know, I grew up in New Orleans. My grandmother was an actual retired charity nurse. She had a Red Cross cape. I still have the cape today in a frame. I'm so proud of that that cape. And growing up in New Orleans, this was in the 60s, my grandmother would take my brother and sister and I to nursing homes in New Orleans, and we would visit these 
they would call them the homes for the incurables. These people had no Such family. An awful term. It's so <laughs> horrible. And I even I even went by years later just to get some information, and they kind of slammed the door in my face. So I think it's just a bad black cloud <laughs> yeah. that follows them around. But um, anyway, my sister and I are both RNs today, and a lot of it was because we learned so much. Um, and just saw the need in caring for people. And I loved that. But I remember stories that my grandmother would share about Carville and the Catholic nuns who devoted their lives to caring for patients afflicted with lep leprosy, which is now called Hansen's disease. So we want to talk to Amanda. Amanda, welcome. We're so glad you are here with us today. Um, and just let's talk about the book. Yeah. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you. It was a wonderful Thank book. You. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Amanda, you know, I told you before we started that um, I'm in a book club and I've got serious readers and we meet monthly and not once in the last three and a half years has everyone liked a book. They are always complaining about the book. This is the first time that we had a unanimous high five. This is the best book we've ever read. I love to read, and I love the kind of books that are so interesting that you cannot put down. Yeah. And this is one of them, and I've loved it, and I'm so honored. We are so honored that you're here to talk about your book. So here we go. Yep. So how did you decide to write um, a book on leprosy? Like This is a biblical type of disease that would be terrifying back in the day, and now you know, there's, a, there's a book that's you know highlighting a, a real... Um, case study in, in a sense of what it, what it would have been like to have been afflicted with this and everything that goes into the, the society being terrified of this disease, how, how, you know, infectious is it? How, how likely is our kids and our, and our spouses will get this, the neighbor, the, you know, the drinking fountain that we may share with all these things all kind of rolled up into one story with, behind Miss West. Yeah. Thank you. And I think that really, sort of touches on why I chose to write the book, because I very much had a similar sense of leprosy as this, you know, biblical affliction, something from the past and, you know, long ago times and faraway places. And I was thinking about ideas for a new story. And I was at the university library here in Las Vegas, where I live. And I came across this tiny book. It was called Remembering Leprosy in America, Carville, Remembering Leprosy in America. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I pick it up and I think, what? Leprosy in America? Right. I, I had never even known that it was a disease that had ever been endemic here in the United States. So I, I take the book and I kind of go to this corner of the library and I read it cover to cover. And I was really shocked, for lack of a better word, um, by three things. One, by how little I knew about the disease. And two, by how much of what I thought that I knew about the disease was actually wrong. And three, I think most importantly, was the degree to which the stigma of the disease really affected the patient's lives. And not only their lives, but the lives of their families and how it really drove this sort of tragic situation where people with the disease were quarantined either in a facility like Carville or before Carville in pest um, houses or isolation wards, sometimes for their entire lives. And I thought, you know, if I had all these misconceptions and misunderstandings about the disease, 
um, maybe other other people here might as well, and maybe there there's a story to tell and a way to bring these people's experience to light. So, Amanda, are your characters based on true people? My characters are all fictitious. They're creations of my imagination, but all of the experiences that they have, the situations that they go through, all of that were, were drawn from my research. So they were things, again, situations, experiences that people with the disease in the 1920s, in and around that time, people at Carville did in fact experience. Yeah, I get it's flashbacks. What was the movie? It was probably twenty years ago. Outbreak or something. Remember, there was there was the monkey. Remember, they oh, going yeah. they were going house to house with the vans to 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 round these people up. That was mm-hmm. the imagery as I was reading the book, at least on the on the, on the early goings, the first few chapters where uh, Miss West is being essentially ushered out of a hospital. Mm-hmm. She's being quarantined in a hospital. They're taking her. You know, her husband is. I don't want to give too much of the book away, but her husband's a well-to-do, very famous person, and so they're trying to keep her and his identities concealed. And they're whisking her away in some ambulance, you know, rickety ambulance, to you know a train where they're living like amongst you know hay or whatever it was, all the way to from California to New Orleans. And you just get these these images of the internment and the almost the the loss of freedom and not the almost but the, the oh, for, for sure the loss of freedom that these people had because of a disease that we didn't fully understand and, and you mm-hmm. know too what i i loved i thought was so interesting in the box car where she goes in the box car and the nurse that's there i mean she that nurse has jeopardized her life i mean because they you have her she has a three-legged stool to sit on that that the nurse taking care of them is not taken care of right you know there are no bathrooms. There, you know, um, it was so cute how she says, "I'm going to go to the dining, <laughs> the dining train, and get something to eat." Oh no, you're not. Um, so, um, how did you do your research? Other than you had that little book, but where did you go from there? Yeah, so I think that book was just sort of the eye opener moment for me, right? And then I realized one, I needed to learn more about the disease, so I spent time understanding our modern day you know, present day knowledge of the disease, but also I wanted to know what did the doctors um, and scientists and nurses know in the 1920s, because that's when the book is set, as you alluded to. There's Muriel, the main character. She's the wife of a silent film star, and she unexpectedly contracts the disease and is whisked away to the National Leprosarium in Louisiana, which was called Carville. Mm-hmm. And there she has to sort of grapple with both um, the disease itself as well as this very crippling stigma that follows the disease and somehow try to find a way to make a new life for herself. So that's a little bit of a background about the disease. So I needed to understand leprosy, again, as they understood it in the 1920s, because that's when the book was set. But most of my research came from a trip that I took to Louisiana, to Carville. It is no longer um, a hospital. The disease is now treated completely via outpatient, but there's a museum there. And Carville, um, for those of you who are familiar with Louisiana, it's sort of in between uh, Baton Rouge and New Orleans, right along the Mississippi. And at this museum, they have a wonderful archive. So I spent four days there researching um, in the archive, touring the museum. I also got to tour around um, many of the structures that are still standing that were there. Uh, there's a, a cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just crazy. Just so much. Yeah. This is so when, when you even say, even saying it's a hospital, it was a hospital, 
but it was really a prison sentence. Like they literally had a fence with barbed wire keeping these people in. Well, and you know, yeah. my grandmother, just back in the day, early 30s and 40s, she worked at a, she called it a sanatorium. So yeah. that's where the the insane, you know, she took yeah. care of the insane. That's what yeah. she would say, I know. So things have that's really changed and come a long way, thank goodness. How is you mentioned that you were you had to research leprosy back from like our understanding of the of the disease back in the 1920s. So I have two questions on that. One, how did it get changed from leprosy to Hansen's disease? Mm. Like, how did that happen? Because it, it, it obviously changes the stigma. If you're walking around going, I, I got diagnosed yeah. with leprosy the other day, you know, <laughs> people are going to stay away from you. It's much, it's much more um, favorable to say, I have, Han- I have Hansen's yeah. disease. Um, so how they, why did they change the name? And then what's the presentation and what's the treatment look like today versus 100 years ago? Um, yeah, that's a great, I think you really... Um, hit it correctly, Brian, when you're talking about the stigma, that's entirely why the name was changed. And it was a patient at Carvel. His name was Stanley okay. Stein. And he lobbied, he and other patients, um, both at Carvel and around the world, they really lobbied to get the name changed because of the just the incredible stigma that follows the disease. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. It very much is, is, is different when you say this person has Hansen's disease, when you say, oh, this person um, has leprosy. It just it, the the moral weight I think that was attached to the disease is no longer um, there. Thank goodness. In terms of the treatment and the and the the differing treatments, so in the 1920s and before this was before they had discovered um, penicillin antibiotics, right? And so they were goodness, they were trying everything. They tried vaccines, they tried milk injections, they they tried plant extracts. Um, fever therapy, which is something I sort of go into in the book. Um, And again, you just had all of these um, patients who, like you said, Brian, they were not just patients, but they were prisoners. Mm -hmm. And so they really had vested interest, right, in in finding a cure. Down to solitary confinement prisoners, Mm -hmm. by the way. Right, yes. That 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 was shocking to me. They literally were treated like prisoners. So Mm -hmm. I, so I, I completely understand like why you would want to change the stigma of in the name of the disease. So, you know, kudos to Mr. Hansen for, for for wanting to change (laughs) and named after him. Um, Terrible. So how, how is the treatment of leprosy or understanding the disease different today? Like is the, is the bug the same as it was back in the twenties or has that evolved? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry. Um, no, no, I apologize. First, I want to say so that the Hansen's disease actually comes not from the person, uh, Stanley Stein, who advocated for the name change, but from um, a Dr. Hansen from um, Norway. He was the the scientist who discovered the oh, gotcha. bacteria. Okay, gotcha. And, and it is the same bacteria from the 1920s as it is today. But today, of course, we have antibiotics. So now um, it's treated completely outpatient. There's no quarantine involved at all. And um, patients will get a fairly long course of antibiotics, usually um, three, a cocktail of three antibiotics over the course of um, one to two years. Wow. Okay. And so I read that there are over 200,000 cases annually. And so how, what is the, I, I don't know if there is a, if you could say how you catch leprosy or Hansen's disease, what would you say the answer would be? Well, so first, to begin with, there are about 200,000 cases annually. 
But in the United States, it's much less. We're talking maybe 100 to 200 cases, new cases diagnosed oh, wow. every year. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, yes. Um, so the very, very little transmission transmission here, but worldwide in particular places, um, India, um, other places in East Asia, Brazil have higher rates of transmission. And they believe that the disease is actually spread by respiratory droplets, so similar to the flu. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like because we only have a hundred and we have a large population here, but only a hundred to two hundred cases. It seems like is there is there some correlation between like a first world country and our understanding of hygiene and those kind of things that helps to keep us more safe from this versus some of the other countries that you see it popping up in. I think more than um, hygiene, because again, you know, I think that's this part of the vestige of our, our, our prior understanding of the disease, right? That it was a disease- So I'm leaning of, more into yeah, the by stigma contact, again. Right? It's my by fault. touching, yeah. <laughs> by a lack of cleanliness. Yeah. Um, and that's that's really not the case in terms of the transmission of the disease. Okay. But I think what, what it is, is access. Access to the antibiotics, um, access to the care, and still a lingering sense of stigma. So when patients are afraid to admit that they have the disease, when they know that they and or their families are going to be unfairly and harshly treated because of that diagnosis, I think they're less likely to access the care, even though what well, the care we have now, the antibiotics is so effective. And so that's why I believe you still have, you're seeing transmission um, in some of these other places. And I will say as well that I, I don't know that the transmission in the United States, well, it was endemic um, in the United States, in particular in certain states, uh, Louisiana, for, for example. Um, it was never quite as, I think, a prevalent as disease as you might have seen somewhere else. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So, you know, being from Louisiana and New Orleans, I remember River Road. I know which road you're talking about. It You drive past the levee and you can get to Baton Rouge from New Orleans. It's just, I used to ride my bike on the levee and just so many memories as a child. But how did they pick Carville? Why Carville, Louisiana? What happened was in the late 1800s, the 1890s, Louisiana, there was actually... Um, uh, kind of an expose in the newspaper in New Orleans that talked about some of the people with leprosy that were being kept um, just in, in various pest houses around the city. And there was this great outcry, like, oh my goodness, you have to move these, these people mm -hmm. outside of the city limits. Because again, there was so much fear and misunderstanding about the disease. And so um, the state sort of took notice of that. And what they did is they bought this old plantation that you know was right there along the river road. And they, they told the people surrounding that area that they were gonna build an ostrich farm because they didn't want those people to get up in arms oh about having people with the disease close by. <clears throat> and then they, they gathered up all the people in the city in New Orleans that had the disease and brought them on a barge at nighttime to, um, well, be Carville, essentially, which is actually just a, that tiny little town that's right next to um, this area. Mm. And for, I think, about 25 years, it was just a home for a home slash hospital, but mostly just a home for people in Louisiana who had the disease. And, you know, as you mentioned, um, Joe, the daughters of charity came 
and they were the nurses there. There were no other nurses that were willing to take care of these patients since the Daughters of Charity came and took care of these patients. But then in the 1920s, there was a man named John Early who had the disease. Actually, this was in the 19-teens when this happened. Um, and he had, his experience was similar to other people's in that he had the disease. He would get kind of taken by the, the um, public health department and locked away. He would escape. He was the breadwinner for his family. So he was trying to provide for them. And, and he just, would, this would happen over and over again. He would escape. They would capture him again, lock him away. And finally he escaped and he went to Washington, D.C., and he rented a room in a very um, fancy hotel where several um, other like legislators stayed. And he stayed there for three days, called the press at the, the last day and said, you know, my name is John Early. I have leprosy and I have been staying at this hotel. And if the laws are going to say that people like me, people with this disease are going to be locked away, you have to have a national home for us, a place where we, where we can all go and, and, and get some sort of real care. Um, and so again, you had all these um, legislators that stayed at this hotel and they were terrified that, oh my goodness, maybe I've caught this disease. How can we have people like this, you know, running free? And that really spurred them to create a national leprosarium, they called it. And they chose Carville because Carville was already in existence. And so in the early 1920s, Patients from all over the rest of the country were sent to Carville, um, where they were, were forced to remain until either they were um, deemed cure and no longer what they would call a, a nuisance to the public health or until they died. Wow. Goodness gracious. So I imagine is your, your um, I, don't, I don't, affinity is probably the wrong word, but your attraction to this kind of a story, is it largely because you, you are an infectious disease nurse yourself? I certainly it, think that's that's part of it. Yes, okay. I think you know I'm I'm very interested in in disease, disease transmission, um, and and also I think the way that some you know as you were talking about in the beginning how sometimes <laughs> what we know today is not what we're going to know in 20 years, and um, you know I just I think that there's some a cautionary tale in that. Yeah. Okay. What's the bigger message you hope to get across through this book? So one of the reasons I write historical fiction and I love historical fiction is because I, I feel like there's so much relevance that we can glean in our, our modern lives from, from the past. And that to me was certainly true when I read about the patients um, who, who were, again, as you mentioned, essentially imprisoned at Carville for, for decades. I yeah. think, too, more recently with the, um, the AIDS crisis, especially in the 1980s when there was so mm -hmm. much stigma that people attach to that disease and so much fear. Uh, but even more recently, you have situations, there was some of that, of course, with COVID. With mental health, there's still a lot of stigma and moral weight attached to that body size. So I think there's there are things today where we are unfairly making assumptions about people who have illnesses when, again, like with leprosy, these things, they're medical diagnoses, they're bacteria, they're viruses, yep. they're not a symbol that this person is a bad or immoral person. And so my hope was sort of, you know, that we could, that people would read the book and maybe I just look with a little bit more kindness and Stop compassion. dehumanizing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what are you working on now? What, what, what's yet to come? I, 
just sort of working on a book. I, I do really enjoy kind of exploring medical history. So I'm writing a book about a woman uh, physician and in 1900. Uh, so right when you started to see women becoming becoming doctors. But this particular woman, she is at the um, the brink of ruin. And so she is lured into joining a snake oil salesman and his traveling medicine show. And yeah, they travel, you know, the way that these shows did all around, um, you know, rural America hawking their cure-all potions and, and other, you know, elixirs. And they wind up in Galveston, Texas, right on the eve of the terrible hurricane that they had um, in 1900 that was the worst natural disaster in terms of loss of life um, that we've, we've had in the United States. Oh, that wow. is awesome. Well, we have some books that I just want to show the, the listeners, The Nurse's Secret. This is going to be fabulous. I cannot wait to read this. Um, the Undertaker's Assistant is another one. These are all by Amanda. Between Earth and Sky, these all look, and I was able to buy these on Amazon as a set with a little bit of a discount, which is was wonderful. And then, of course, the book we're talking about today, The Secret Life of Muriel West. Yep. Just, just so great. So other than Amazon, where can we get your books? The books are available really wherever books are sold. So if you have a an independent bookstore in your town, you can go. They may have it on the shelf, but they can certainly order it if they don't. Barnes & Noble, if you're an e-reader um, or an e-book reader, of course, you can get it on Amazon, but also Barnes & Noble Nook um, and uh, Kobu as well. And, you know, I want to say one more thing, Amanda. You know, I wrote a book, too. I wrote a memoir, and it was about my childhood in New Orleans. It did not become a bestseller. <laughs> but what I loved is that it took you five years. I love to read that your husband mm -hmm. encouraged you and it took five years to get a publisher. Is that right? Yes, it, it's it's actually took a, a little bit longer than five years. <laughs> I, I had this crazy idea that I would write this book and um, that then <laughs> people would just be knocking on my door like, I would like to read this book. And so I had told him, you know, I think it'll take about a year, but I ended up writing a book that, you know, never sold that's just in a drawer here in my office. And, uh, you know, but I kept going and he was incredibly supportive. Um, you know, as the years kind of ticked by and I still hadn't found a publisher yet. Wow. That's, that's neat. Well, you know, there's so many wonderful books and you hear stories like that, like Harry Potter. I think mm -hmm. she was declined 67 times, lot, something yeah. like that, I, you know, and just took forever. And what was the other, uh, the, the help, the help, um, that author, it took just dozens of tries to get somebody to take on her book. So yeah. anyway, so excited for you. And that's, you're just doing something you love to do. It's, I just love encouraging female authors and entrepreneurs and um, just, just way to go because it's great. Yep. I agree. Thank you so much for joining us today. The, the, the book is fascinating. Um, I, I really appreciate the, the uh, putting the human factor into these characters, especially Miss West, as she's going through all this stuff, it really, it, it you know, when you think of leprosy in this in, in in this context, is it this is a like we talked about before? It's like a biblical plague. Like this is the hand of God striking you. And so, for you know, six thousand years of recorded history, we've looked at leprosy as this thing of oh my gosh, like we can't be around you, and the effect that it has on individual patients and families. And and we seem to ma be making these mistakes I know. <laughs> on a regular basis, unfortunately. So I so appreciate you bringing that to light and and writing this story and letting us interview you today. 
Yeah. Thank you, Amanda, so much. And you have a great day. We appreciate you. you. We appreciate your time. I appreciate that. I appreciate what you guys are doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.